Well, good morning, church family. Before I uh, start to preach and read from God's Word, I want to share a little testimony of my own. Um, This has been a week for me, uh, a week of really wrestling with God. Um, as As I read our text for this week, which is a beautiful text, I wanted to preach a powerful resurrection sermon. The resurrection is is uh, the center of the Christian faith. Like Paul says, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, we've got no hope. We're worse off than the unbelievers. That's what he says. And uh, we saw that as we went through the book of Acts. And in fact, the last text that we preached in Acts, even even the pagan king understood that it was all about the resurrection of Jesus. They're talking about some guy named Jesus, some dead guy that they claim is raised from the dead. Everything hinges on not only his dying, but his rising. And there's so much beauty in his resurrection, so much power at work, power of God, angels appearing, earthquakes happening, the the dead rising, even in his death. And I wanted to preach a powerful resurrection sermon, and I felt like the Lord was speaking to me and giving a different message, a really simple and yet, I believe, powerful word that he wants us each to hear this morning. And um, it took me a lot to trust the Lord that I could leave off what felt really significant. And so here's my testimony. The Lord in his providence went ahead of me, and he preached the gospel this morning through the songs that we sang and the lips of Jan. He knew, he he caused all of us to hear the beauty and the depth of Jesus' resurrection, what's been purchased for us in it. And um, he made the way so that I can now bring this word. So I just want to praise God for his faithfulness. And um, I want you to see a little bit of what it's like for me to have to trust the Lord with all of my heart and lean not on my own understanding, but in all of my ways, acknowledge him and he will direct my paths. So I'm going to read our sermon text shortly, but I want to say a little bit first about uh, something that we're going to do before and after the sermon. We're going to watch a couple of videos this morning. The first one is very short. It's a movie trailer for a movie called Risen. came out in 2016. If you haven't seen it, you ought to. It's excellent. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm showing that to us before I read the text because I, th- I feel like it will give it will give an, uh, a lens into the text that is something we can't always have without seeing something like this, just an, a visual lens. The second video that we'll watch after we read the text uh, has nothing to do with a movie trailer, and I'll just start talking to you about it after we watch it. So, Ray, if you would shut off the lights, and you can just leave them off while I read the text and we watch the second video, And um, you'll play the first one, I'll read, and then we'll play the second one, okay? The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, We remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. 
Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You're to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's word.
God has adopted us into his forever family. The Bible makes really clear from beginning until the end that God is a father. That that's the way he wants to relate to us. That's how he wants to know us and he wants us to know him. Paul says that he kneels before the father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth gets its name. And that God has gone to very, very great lengths to want to bring us back to know him as father. He created us in his image. He created us for fellowship with him. The very first thing that Adam saw in the garden when he woke to life was God's face as he breathed life into his lungs. Created Adam and Eve and he created you and I for fellowship with him. And the Bible pictures God as a God who has been heartbroken over lost children. A father in Luke 15 who, when his son runs away, is not only grief-stricken, but is out looking, looking for his lost child. And that when he comes home, that father hikes up his garments and runs to him. And Jesus says, this is what God is like, longing for lost ones to come home. And God has been on a long, long journey to make that possible. It started the moment that Adam and Eve left the garden or walked away from God's purposes, rebelled against him, and it's been a journey of redemption that took hundreds and thousands of years to arrive at this moment where Jesus not only offered himself on a cross to death, but is raised from the dead. But I don't want to hurry into that resurrection because I've spent a lot of time this week with the disciples and especially with these ladies who are following Jesus. And I've just been imagining prayerfully how dark Friday and Saturday were. And I want to say to you all that when you're walking with God and you're working with God, sometimes... The darkest hour is right before the breakthrough. Like the last hour before dawn is the darkest. Oftentimes it's that way in walking and working with God. Maybe you're hoping for something or praying for something or longing for something. Here are these disciples and these women who have seen in Jesus Love incarnate. They've been with Jesus for three years and it's like they can taste heaven through him. His words are life. They say that your words, Jesus, they are spirit and life. When you talk and we receive what you say, it brings life to us. And Jesus, we see You touch people that nobody else wants to touch. You don't shy away from the dirty. You don't shy away from the leper. You don't shy away from anybody who wants to come to you. And you heal. And sinners are attracted to you. And you don't turn them away. 
you forgive. And they watch him catch, they watch him deal with a woman caught in adultery. And does he shame her? Does he condemn her? No. He forgives. And he sends her away to live a new life. They taste God's love in and through Jesus. They taste life. And they know and they believe this is the Messiah. This is the one God promised would bring about a new kingdom, a new world. This is him. We know it. We're following him. We're giving our lives to him. And they have seen him slip out of danger so many times. But it doesn't happen this time. This Thursday night, he's taken captive. And he doesn't resist. And they go, and I imagine that they have an all-night prayer meeting Thursday night. I don't think they sleep. I think they cry out to God for deliverance. And when the morning comes, God hasn't answered their prayers. It's a black morning because Jesus is black and blue. And it goes from bad to worse. He's already been beaten and then he's handed over. And it's like, it's, it's like a surreal, you've had these moments. I know you've all had them where something bad's happening and it feels like, it's kind of like a dream. It's sort of surreal and you, you don't really feel like it's happening, but it is happening. It's just horrible. And here they watch him. Mocked. And they watch him have a mock trial. And they watch him get handed over. And they watch him carry his own cross. And they watch him nailed to the cross. And they watch and they keep waiting. God, aren't you going to intervene? Aren't you going to do anything? And he doesn't. Because God's on the cross. And he's dying. And they're crushed. And all of their hopes and all of their dreams implode in that moment. Everything that they'd set their heart on dies with Jesus. I just imagine that Friday night and Saturday are the darkest of the depressing, the most depressing days that anyone could imagine. All hope is gone. I imagine that they're numb with grief. And they don't have any expectation of resurrection when they go to the tomb on Sunday morning. They are just there to honor Jesus. They're there to honor the one that they loved. And here they are at that tomb coming to put oil and spices on the body of the one that they loved and he's not there. He's not there. And all of a sudden, in like the blink of an eye, they're thrust from this despair to now confusion to all of a sudden there's an angel speaking to them saying, Jesus isn't here. Come and see the place where he lay. He's risen. And you can just imagine spinning, spinning 
Like, what's going on? What's going on? And, and the text says they're, they're afraid and yet they're filled with joy. Like, could this be real? Is this real? I mean, we saw him raise people from the dead, but him? Could he raise himself from the dead? Like, how do you even put this into thoughts? You know? Like, hope is dead and then hope's alive? And so the angel says, go and tell, tell the disciples that he's alive. And so they go and then all of a sudden, greetings. That's kind of like saying hello. Nobody says greetings except for Teo. <laughs> it's like Jesus says, hello. What do you do when someone who is dead and crucified in front of your eyes is now standing in front of you saying, hello? They fall to their faces. They grab hold of him. They clasp his feet. And, and Matthew says they worship. They worship. I didn't look, but I don't know that that's said anywhere else in the Gospels. That they worship. What's happening in this moment is encounter with God. Like they're realizing all of a sudden... This Messiah that we thought was going to save and deliver and bring about God's kingdom, he's so much more than what we thought. He just raised from the dead. He's God. Like, we're looking at God. Like, I don't know if they would have put it in that language, but how do you compute How do you compute what they saw and they experienced? I think we saw that in the face of the soldier who slunk down after he saw Jesus. And so they worship. Encountering a risen Lord leads to worship. And then the worshiping ones, the ones who know Jesus, are commissioned. And Jesus sends them out. But when Jesus sends them out to the world, he does so with these words. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. Surely, I am with you always to the end of the age. Surely, I am with you always to the end of the age. You might remember that on three days before, on the night that Jesus was crucified, in John, John records a long series of words that Jesus speaks. And in that series, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Isn't that a strange word to use? I will not leave you without parents. Let's just remember a few things together. When Isaiah prophesied about Jesus, and there's this list of names that it speaks, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. You know that list? Mighty God. Everlasting Father. You ever thought about that? That's a name for Jesus. Everlasting 
Father. Jesus said to his disciples, if you see me, you see the Father. If you see me, you see what God is like. I and the Father are one. He comes to reveal the Father. He comes to represent the Father. He comes to take us orphaned children back home to God the Father. And he said to them, I will not leave you alone as orphans. And they said to him, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the, how do we know the way to where you're going? Jesus, cause Jesus had said, where I'm going, I will prepare a place for you. I'm going back to where I came from and I'll go there to prepare a place for you. Where did he come from? John 1 says that he came from the father's bosom, full of grace and truth, but he came from the father's bosom, his heart. Here's Jesus on earth from the father's heart, calling men and women and children back to God the Father, representing the Father, saying, if you see me, you see God. This is what God's like. This is his character. And now he's sending them out and he's about to leave. And he says, I will not leave you. In John's gospel, it says, and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He's giving his own spirit his own self, in other words, to his disciples. He's imparting himself and he's saying, I, God, the one you're worshiping, the dead and now living one that you are trying to hold on to, I'll be with you always. And I've been thinking about those words of Jesus this week because I've been thinking about our journey through Acts and how we've seen that um, life for these Christians didn't get easy. If anybody promised you an easy Christian life, they were lying. Or they didn't read the Bible. It's hard to faithfully follow the Lord in this world that doesn't love him, that doesn't know him. And our text opens that up for us this morning because even even as they're discovering resurrection, Jesus is being labeled a deceiver and Satan is working through the chief priests in the Roman Empire to weave a web of lies. Already there's the backlash that's happening. Already there's the resistance to the message, we will not deal with this. We Can you believe these chief priests? They've got people coming and telling them a story. They saw an angel. The tomb got blown wide open. The stones rolled away. And those chief priests don't even stop for a minute. Because they're so committed to their worldview and their control of their own lives and their power that they cannot have a resurrection of Jesus. Not happening. And that's the case all over the time. All over the world, people resist the gospel... Because they're committed to their own way of life, to a self-led life. It is hard to proclaim the gospel. And Jesus knows that as he sends them out. And so what's the last words that he puts on his lips is the words they need to hear. When you go in my name to call, and I believe the picture of his calling is the picture of the parents and the children. I mean, so full of joy. Are you ready to go have a new brother and sister? 
Yes. Are you ready for an adventure? Yes. We're going to go call lost children home. This is amazing. And you need to know that I'm with you. Always. And we have seen Jesus encounter them again and again through Acts. The last time we saw it with Paul was Jesus stood beside him in a jail cell and said, don't be afraid as you've testified about me in Jerusalem. You've got to talk about me in Rome. I'm taking you there. Encounter with God, the living God, encounter with Jesus leads to worship, leads to to being commissioned as his representative. I know God. He's alive and not dead. He's Lord. He's my Father. He loves. We're commissioned ones who are sent with a promise of His presence. Friends, this is what the Lord's been doing for us the last three to four years as we've gone through the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Jesus has been encountering us in dozens and dozens of ways. I wrote down just a few of them. He encountered Lori Mitchell downstairs in the church basement. And Vic and I got to watch as she saw a vision of the Lord. He encountered Jackie in worship at Dunamis. And she shared that with us a couple of weeks ago. He encountered Marissa in India, giving her a call as evangelist. And she shared that with us five, six weeks ago. He encountered Lindsay on an airplane in December, telling her, come away and rest with me a while. And she shared that with us. He encountered Vic in Traverse City in the middle of a group of people. He's encountered us in worship as we've been aware of his presence. He's encountered us in this room in prayer ministry. He's encountered us as we prayed together. He's encountered us through the preached word. It's Jesus. And I want to say something to you. Every five, six, seven weeks, I I feel like I stand up here and I say something when I start the worship service about the Lord being present with us. And every time I see a few eyes kind of go, like, God's here. Like it catches people by surprise. Like they're not expecting that the risen Lord is here. How can we live? How can we faithfully follow the call that Jesus has given us to embody his kingdom and to proclaim him if we don't know his presence with us day in and day out? I believe that for these disciples, what sustained them along the way, among other things, was coming back to or being reminded of these encounters with the living Lord. They didn't have an encounter with an idea. They didn't have an encounter with a set of words. They didn't have an encounter with a preacher. They had an encounter with God. A living Lord. And they could be refreshed or reminded of those times and those places where Jesus met them. 
and he poured out his love on them. So I was just talking to Vic before the worship service, and he was telling me, you've, you've all heard me share the story when uh, God's touched him many times, but this time in Traverse City was a time, can I share the story? There, there was a minister there. I'm, I'm not sharing anything that he hasn't already shared publicly, okay? So this is, is I mean, because this is deep stuff. But he has shared publicly that he was molested in the church as a as a youngster. It was a horrible occurrence. And when we were in Traverse City, there was a pastor who felt led to apologize to him publicly on behalf of the church. And when that pastor did that, um, the Spirit of God fell on him in such a way that he just felt like wave after wave after wave of all it could just be described as like liquid love, like God filling him with, and you'd never felt anything like that. And, um, and he said to me this morning, when I struggle now, when I struggle with where is God or what's he doing or how do I understand or any other struggle, I can turn in my heart and I can go back to that moment where God met me, where he encountered me. And in my heart, I'll remember and be refreshed and the presence of the Lord will come over me again. And then I'm able to turn back. The Lord's with me. The Lord is with me. So I share that this morning because my strong sense as I prayed for this, this sermon, and I just want to tell you, I took like three or four prayer walks this week. Usually I take one or two for preaching preparation, but I just sought the Lord and sought the Lord, asking him what he wanted to say. And I was walking around Lexington School here, and I felt like the Lord said, I want my children to hear that it grieves me deeply when they don't know I'm with them. I want them to know that I'm always with them. I want them to know that the reason for my resurrection from the dead is so that we could be one. So that I could, in them, take them back to loving, day-by-day relationship with a father. And I know, this is me now, not the Lord, I know that this is a problem for us being aware of the Lord's presence, because you all agree in your minds when you hear these words in Matthew, the Lord's the Lord's with us to the end of the age, but we don't all live with an awareness of his presence. How do I know that's a struggle? Because of the popularity of this poem, Footprints. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from the Lord flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand, Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was one only. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you'd walk with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there's only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, my precious child, 
the times when you've seen only one set of footprints is when I carried you. That poem means so much because there are so often times where we feel alone or we feel anxious or we feel afraid and we're not aware of the presence, the real presence of Jesus Christ. We maybe believe with our minds, but have not meditated enough and come to believe in our hearts what the word says. Do you not know that he who is one with the Lord is one spirit with him? I am no longer my own body, belong to the Lord. Body and soul. And so the Lord wants to say to each of us this morning, I want you to hear I am with you. I am with you when you feel stuck and frustrated with yourself again. I'm with you. When loved ones are making hurtful choices, I'm with you. When you don't understand and you're asking why, I'm with you. When you just need a hug and somebody to understand, I am with you. When you get a scary diagnosis, I'm with you. When you become frightened about growing old and dying, I'm with you. When you're having to make really difficult choices, I am with you. When your past keeps nipping at your heels and the accuser's voice is loud, I'm with you. When the present looks to you like a disorienting desert, I am with you. When the future feels like a fog that you can't see through, I'm with you. When a dream crumbles in front of you, I'm with you. When your attempts to share others, share me with others, fall flat, I'm with you. When you're happy and when you're blue, I am with you. When you're aware of me and when you're not, I am with you. When your faith in me is strong and when it's wavering, I am with you. When you hear my voice clearly and when you don't, I am with you. I am always with you. I am always with you. And you can trust that regardless of what you feel because it's in my nature to make and keep promises. I, says the Lord, I'm not like shifting shadows. I don't change like the shadows change because the clouds move. I I am the same. I am with you. And so I want to end by praying this morning the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church in chapter 1. Where he says, 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. For the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Lord Jesus, would, would you help us to become more aware of your presence? Lord, would you fill us would you, would you do what Paul prays? Would you open the eyes of our hearts to be able to know, just like Sebastian in that video, he didn't know that there was a family waiting for him. Mom and dad had already set their affection on him. Mom and dad had already decided that he was going to be their child, but he didn't know. Lord, you've told us about your affection. You've made promises to us, and we know Would you now help us to know in our hearts the reality of your presence with us? Lord, we thank you that we can face anything and everything without fear. You said, don't be afraid without fear because you are with us and you'll never leave or never forsake. We love you, Lord. Amen. The living Lord is here. And there's this incredible invitation that he gives for a forever family. And we've heard that this morning. And we watched that video of the joy of that little boy and that family as they said yes to one another. And friends, this isn't just for somebody else. And I just sense somebody saying, this is just too good to be true. And I want to say, this is true for you. And today, the Lord opens wide his arms. And he says, I want to be your forever father. Come home. And so there's going to be prayer partners up here. And today is a day to come home and to make this official and to transfer into God's forever family. I believe there's at least one person here that's been far away and it's time to come back home. 
the Lord's love is here. And he is love and he is grace. And he's just saying, come home. I've never quit looking for you. I've never quit watching you. Come home. And the Lord bless each of you to know that nothing can separate you from his love. The Lord bless you to know deeply that he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Whatever you're facing, whatever the situation, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.